As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to The Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. And I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and we thank you for joining us on this crappy, drizzly, humid Ooh, uh, right. Thursday morning. I hope it's nice and sunny where, where you are. Or if you don't like the sun, um, go to Kiev. Go to Kiev. Yeah, no, I, I, hope, I hope you enjoy the weather where you are more than I'm not enjoying it here. Uh, put it that way. Anyway, as you probably heard his golden tones, in the studio with us, it's the man with two first names. It's Gary Jacob. <laughs> thank you, Gabs. And... Down the line, it's the franchise, Henry Winter. Later on, we'll be talking about the Merseyside Derby and more Mourinho melodrama. But first, we spoke on this podcast a week ago about a huge eight days to come for Tottenham, and it is so far so good for Maurizio Pochettino. Victory over Chelsea was followed up by a 1-0 win at Wembley over Inter Milan, which keeps their Champions League hopes alive. Next up, it is the North London Derby on Sunday. Uh, Henry, you were at Wembley last night. What impressed you most about Spurs? Well, their resilience, they didn't panic. Even though they needed the goal, they needed the win against Inter. Look, this is not a great Inter Milan side. They haven't got the sort of Walter Samuels or Lucio's of old, but they, they were pretty organised. Um, but they just kept going. I was impressed with Suzoku. Um, so, I mean, his, his resilience, given his move from Newcastle, you know, there were a lot of questions about him. And, I, you know, I think he's probably been their best player in in November against Wolves, against Palace. I think he was terrific against Chelsea. And he sort of led the, the, the charge towards the goal. Great pass across to uh, Deli Alley, who was so composed the way he himself turned the ball on to, to, to Ericsson. I thought also Pochettino got his substitutions right. Um, Ericsson came on and, and made a difference. And then sort of sewing the whole thing up at the end by bringing Dyer on for, for Winks. I, mean, I thought Winks was, was terrific. But it was just good management by Pochettino. And... In a way, it was a very unspursy performance. You almost expected something to sort of slip away, but they were very resilient and, and kept going. Henry, I want to ask you, because I was talking about this with a friend of mine earlier. Um, obviously, Ericsson, he's not 100%. There's some suggestion he may have some chronic health issues and, uh, and, and whatnot. But it struck me that Pochettino must feel way, way confident in his situation and, and in his players because... A lot of managers with Ericsson would have simply played the percentages here in the sense that if I don't start Ericsson and we are eliminated tonight, then I am going to get absolutely savaged in the media, especially if we then don't, you know, don't get a result in the North London Derby. So even though Ericsson might not be 100%, I think most managers would have started him regardless because obviously he could play, maybe taking him off if they needed to or whatever. But 
they would have looked at the percentages, looked at the odds, looked at the reaction, looked at the lost Champions League revenue. Um, but Pochettino doesn't do that. He's got so much confidence in his judgment and in his players that he does what he thinks is best and doesn't think of the worst-case scenario. Well, that's the key thing, your, your latter point. Pochettino, you know, he won't worry about the media, probably won't worry about the fans' reactions. I mean, you know, like most journalists before a match, you know, when the team comes out, you go on the fans' forums, so you go on social media just to see the fans' reaction. And, you know, a few of them sort of down the years have said don't quite understand that Poch lineup. And five, ten minutes into the game, it's all, oh, in Poch we trust, never doubted him because, the, you know, the formation, the selection has worked. I thought he, he used Lamella and Lucas last night to, to, to stretch and to maybe tire them out. And, you know, it's a 14-man game. And if he's going to bring Ericsson on as one of his three substitutions when Inter had been slightly tired and Ericsson with that intricacy in the passing, and we saw with that free kick to Vertonghen, and then obviously the finish, you know, he can finish it off. I mean, in American sport, whatever it is, closing pitches or whatever you call it, you know, it, it is, they do think like that. I think the last thing Pochettino will think about will be the sort of media reaction or um, or the fans' view of it. I mean, I think he's too confident. Look, he's the one who trains and sees Ericsson every day, knows what's going on with with Ericsson. He's got all the medical stats there. He'll, you know, he will use Ericsson intelligently. I don't know if there are any issues with Ericsson. I mean, he looked pretty good when he came on. Um, maybe he's just keeping something in reserve and he's going to rotate again for, for, for Sunday. Pochettino gets quite defensive whenever you ask him about, about players and he, as, he, as he says in the paper today I haven't got a basketball team I can only play 11 players and I, I see them in training and I see what they're like I see their statistics and I'll go with the ones who I think have got the best numbers in, in that week and how they train so only he really knows but I do find it surprising because there is not one other player in that Tottenham team who can play a pass like he can. There's obviously a, a separate issue bubbling in the background, which is his contractual situation, which no one's suggesting is, is linked. But that is a situation well, which is brought up. So you're well, suggesting I, it. Well, I'm not suggesting it's linked. But if you look at Pochettino... He's about to create a link. I'm about to create a link. But if you look at Pochettino's background of players who've wanted to leave Tottenham, Walker, Alderweireld, Danny Rose... We don't know where Ericsson is. He's got 18 months, yeah? He's got 18 months. If you look at those players, as soon as Walker told him he wasn't going to play in the semi-final, he was out pretty much. Danny Rose has not been the same player, albeit he's had an injury. I don't think Adavara has been the same player, and I don't think think he's playing under himself. Pochettino, if you talk to the the agents of the players, is about, you're either with me or you're not with me. So he sees a long-term commitment. Maybe, maybe I, there's a little, maybe there's a little bit of that. In I the would find that extraordinary. But but I would it find is... it extraordinary in the case of Ericsson. <laughs> well, you mentioned Sunday and the North London derby. Arsenal, obviously the rivals for, for Tottenham. They're unbeaten in 17 games in all competitions at the time that we record this. Victory will see them go above Tottenham on Sunday. What's your view on the job that Unai Emery has done, Henry? I think he's great. He's calmed everything. He's taken a lot of the. The sort of heat and the politics and the dissent and the divided club out, obviously, with, with Wenger going. And he looks an Arsenal manager. I know that might seem weird, but you can go back to sort of Whitaker in the, in the 30s and Chapman and people like that. And there is a look about an Arsenal manager. There's something about the blazer. There's something about their stance. There's something about their sort of public utterances. And it, you, you just listen to Emery and he's, he's so impressive. And I love the way that, you know, he smiles and he's engaging and yet he's ruthless as well. I mean, just look at how he's dealt with Mesut Ozil. He said, you know, it's quite a thing to say. He said, listen, this game was going to be too physical. So he left him out for, for that. 
And yet Ozil, when he uses him again, whether he uses him on Sunday or in, or in the future, I'm sure he'll, well, if he's got any substance to him, he'll he'll respond to that. I think the way he's bringing in some of the uh, the youngsters, you look at the, the, the squad and the planned team he took out to Ukraine, and, you, you know, young players are getting a chance. Nketiah, Smith-Rowe, Maitland-Niles, good to see him back. So, yeah, he's I mean, probably only if his expected team was holding would actually be expected to, to be involved in a North London derby. So I like the way he's rotated. It's, he's given people a chance. They're good. They're attractive going forward. Clearly, defence still needs working on the redistribution and all that. The players he's brought in, particularly Leno, Gondosi, individuals like that, Torreira, obviously, which the Arsenal have been crying out for probably since Gilberto Silva, sort of an anchoring midfield presence like that, defensive midfield player, um, has, has been terrific. So I think everything about Emery has been, has been impressive. Henry mentioned Meza Ozil there and the fact that Unai Emery isn't afraid to make big decisions, didn't play him in the game against Bournemouth. Do you think, Gary, that perhaps Emery was saving him for the North London derby? Or for Vorsk Or for Vorsk, Vorsk, indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Or is he just not guaranteed to start now at Arsenal? Well, I think he'll play Sunday, firstly, because Ramsey's gone to um, Ukraine. And Ozil hasn't, so I think he will play Sunday. I think it's a little bit of a... If you don't sign your new contract, you li- go to Ukraine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think what was what was astonishing was Emery so far is not a manager who likes to say an awful lot in press conferences, and he says very little. The fact that he's actually was so blunt about Ozil, which is quite a surprise, really. For a, he doesn't seem to he doesn't seem to be a guy who would criticise his players. For him to say that was quite astonishing. I mean, he, so but fa- he did he did say because Bournemouth are notoriously physical and dirty team, right? Yeah, but then Sorry, I'm joking. I'm joking, Eddie. I'm not. But then, that's what I thought was so extraordinary of all the teams to say against. You yeah, absolutely. Like, absolutely. <laughs> technical footballing side absolutely if you said it against uh, maybe a Newcastle or, or, a, or a team who towards or Cardiff or a Huddersfield you'd Don Revy's leads yeah. if you time but, travel but, back but even to... then you have to beg the question if, you, if you're on 350 grand a week and you're meant to be one of the best players in the world and you can't get right by a slogger on the other team in midfield you have to ask the question what is he there for so he's got to be better than that Ozil but I think I think probably it's a little bit of a kick up the bottom because when you, when you look at it Wenger would always dote on him, dote on Ramsey, and now Emery's in there saying, well, Ramsey, I'm, not, I'm now not too bothered by you. You can go, Ozil, well, your place is not guaranteed. So it's a bit of a kick. This season, with your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times, you can watch every highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League. It's just £8 for an eight-week trial. Now, every Thursday at thetimes.co.uk, our very own Bill Edgar provides 11 trivia teasers for you. And here is one for you on this podcast then. The last Premier League goal scored by a goalkeeper came five years ago in November 2013. Remarkably, it was scored 13 seconds into the match. Both the scorer and the goalkeeper who conceded that goal are now teammates at which Premier League club? Goodness me. Wow, I feel like we should know this. I know. Wasn't the game Stoke involved in that game? I would, I would be wasn't it, wasn't tempted it? to say that they're both keepers at Burnley, perhaps? I'm trying to imagine two goalkeepers who were both starters, right? Which they would have been. So that's my thinking, and... Stoke someone, wasn't it? Oh. Have you ever been to Stoke's ground and you know that anything can happen there? Well, it's windy. It's very windy. It's a very strange mm. ground. Mm. All right. Okay, yeah, well. The, the four corners also exposed yes. and it's on a slight hill. It gets very windy there. 
Well, mm. we'll find out, and you'll be able to find out at the end of the podcast what that answer is. But while we're on the subject of Bill Edgar, Wednesday night, my goodness, what a night it was in the championship. The greatest league in the world, Gab. Let's just point that out. Uh, Aston Villa and Nottingham Forest drew five all at Villa Park. It was some well, game. I, it was funny. I was, I was, at, I was at Wembley, and I, and I flick on the live score. And my eye just goes down, and I see it was like 5-4. It was late in the game. I said, like, what, have they gone to penalties or something? Like, (laughs) is there some, like, weird rule? Absolutely incredible. Uh, Incredible indeed. And just think, Tammy Abraham, you score four goals. You think you're going to win if you score four Mm. goals. But um, anyhow, that didn't happen. Uh, Bill has been in touch with a couple of uh, statistical gems. 5-5 is not a common scoreline. I think we can all uh, agree on Thank that. Thank you, Bill. <laughs> but it does bring back memories for two players who were in the Forest team. Claudio Jacob featured for West Brom in Sir Alex Ferguson's last game as the Manchester United manager, which was a five-all draw at the Hawthorns in May 2013. And that, the only 5-5 draw of Fergie's career at United. And it might feel a bit commonplace for Michael Dawson as well. It's the second time he's been involved in such a match in his last eight away games, having played in a five-all draw for Hull at Bristol City in April. This would be former England international Michael Dawson. He also might have been part of that Spurs team that lost 5-4 under Martignol to Wenger. The one that Mourinho called a hockey match, hockey (laughs) scoreline. Well, there you go. The championship there, Gab. It is the best league in the world. Clearly. Anything can happen. (laughs) Tottenham's Champions League destiny will go right down to the final match day, as will Liverpool's. They lost 2-1 at Paris Saint-Germain to set up a mouth-watering decider with top-of-the-table Napoli at Anfield in a fortnight. Up next, though, for Jurgen Klopp's men is the visit of Everton for the Merseyside derby on Sunday. And, And, Henry, before we look at that game... How concerned will Jürgen Klopp be that they've lost all three away games in the group stage? Well, first, it's a tough group, but Napoli 1-0 away, crazy place to go to. Red Star 2-0, that was poor. PSG, look, if Neymar and Mbappe, the two most expensive players in the world, are going to click and perform like team players, particularly Neymar, uh, as they did um, this week, then you know they're, they're a formidable team. Uh, but the problems for Klopp seems to be in, in midfield. Um, in all three of the games, they've just been too open. The point Paul Joyce was making in the uh, in, in the Times this morning from from Paris, and I think the contrast, particularly last night with a dominant midfielder like Verratti, okay, he could have been sent off, or he should have been sent off for the challenge on Gomez, but they don't really have one dominant midfielder. They've got good individual midfielders, I mean, particularly Wijnaldum, who's having a, a good season, but they haven't got one sort of Souness or Gerrard type at the moment. But look, it's all set up for one of those classic. Anfield nights, you know, everyone sort of says the media over romanticise it, but it is special. You know, if you go to Anfield on a big European night like Olympiacos when Gerard, you know, is, was was in his pomp, or when Chelsea were visiting, or probably when you know Borussia Dortmund, you know, Tuchel's old team, when Napoli come, it is a formidable place to go. And people say, well, atmospheres have flattened a bit, social changes, grounds or seating and things like that. Anfield is formidable outside the ground inside the ground and that will be an, an incredible game the adrenaline will be there and Napoli will run into a wall of sound there's no doubt about that look they're they're an intelligent team but I would still favor Liverpool in this situation I've just been to too many games like this with Liverpool will be fired up Klopp will have them fired up and it will be an emotional night and you can just see them edging it 
I think you make a great point about the atmosphere. It's one of the remarkable things about this group is that what you said about the home atmosphere and the wall of sound, you could definitely apply that, as you noted, to Napoli and to um, the Maracanã where Red Star play. And PSG a little bit different, but they do put on a show and they do have very noisy fans as well. So in some ways, it's it's a real throwback, I think, of, of a group in terms of, of great European nights and possibly the, the funnest group that, that we've seen. There's still a reality, though, that Liverpool were one of the two biggest spending sides in Europe last year. They finished second in the Champions League. In the Premier League, I think they've conceded, what, five goals in 13 games, something stupid like that. Mm. They're totally watertight. And then they go into Europe, and it's a completely different story. Now, it's the same midfielders who play in the Premier League, and it is a tough group, but it's not playing Fergie's treble-winning side every week. Is there something different? Is, is, is there... I mean, can you pinpoint it? Well, apart from PSG last night, I think teams are setting up slightly differently against them after Liverpool's run and the respect that that front three just generated last season. I think there's, I think maybe managers are being a little bit more defensively cute against them. I mean, you're completely right about Liverpool from their perspective. They had to sort out the defence. The, the attack is not quite clicking this season. Firmini has still not found his stride. Salah, to, to an extent, it's still got to reach the peaks of last season. I just think the, the, the issue is in, in midfield. I think they need just to settle in what is his first choice midfield and get everyone performing again. Um, because, as you say, you know the back five is good. I think it was at the, the Red Star game when Matip started and Gomez was on the bench came on at half time they do need Gomez to play at centre half um, and I think when Trent Alexander-Arnold doesn't start I think they miss him I just think you know whether it's for tactical reasons or he just needs resting because he's a young player and he's playing a lot of football at the moment I just think that he sort of duplicates what Robertson does on the on the left and gives them that drive so as you say you know when, when that back five is all together they're pretty formidable but it it comes back to the the, the midfield but I think look we we, we can micro judge everything game by game inch by inch um but I think the long-term direction of travel under Klopp is clearly good. OK, so he spent a lot of money, but they needed that at centre-half and in goal. And they're moving in the right direction. And look, it looks good for English football generally if uh, English clubs can do better in Europe. It is the Merseyside derby next then. Um, Everton up to sixth, one defeat in the last seven. Do you think, Henry, that Marco Silva can secure a first win at Anfield for Everton since, what, 1999? Right, is it that long? Wow. I mean, they'll absolutely be up for it. But then, then so will Liverpool. Liverpool, understandably, are, are favourites. I think they'll be slightly wounded by what happened in in Paris. I think some of the, um, you know, Neymar's antics. Uh, look, some of the Liverpool challenges weren't particularly uh, elegant, James Milner and all that. But I, I think they will be smarting a bit, and I think they will just feel well, this is a great game to actually go and show the class of their team against Everton. So, look, look Silva will, will set them up. They'll probably swap midfield and try to nick it with some of the, the you know, the, the pace they've got, particularly out wide. Um, but, yeah, look, I mean, it's, it's a derby. It'd be brutal. I mean, the one thing you can be sure of is that they're probably a red card. One player, the Liverpool midfielders, might have to stop, is Gilfie Sigurdsson. He scored six goals this season in the Premier League. Um, that's as many as he's managed in the whole of last season. Is the Everton team built around him, do you think, Gary? 
probably increasing slowly and after he had he obviously had a, a difficult time last year where they spent a lot of money on him. You're not quite sure where his position was. He was pushed out wide and Allardyce didn't necessarily always play him. He dropped him a few times. Um, and he's a wonderfully talented player. And, um, yeah, I think increasingly now that Silva's finding the best of him and of Rickolson, who's got who's got some wonderful scoring stats already. So, you know, with Sigerson, you've got to build the team around him because he is one of those players who's just very gifted and, and very off the cuff. You know, when I've seen him at Spurs and at Swans, you, you've got to do that. And he's also struck he's one of those players that need to be loved a little bit. When he joined Everton, it was a bit of a, a mess going on over there around him. They were just struggling at the bottom. And then Sam came in and perhaps Sam isn't his type of manager and perhaps he isn't the type of Sam's player. Henry couldn't see anything other than a Liverpool win. Can anyone put a case forward for Everton winning, Gab? I mean, I think you can. Like, if... Salah and Firmino play the way they did against Paris Saint-Germain. And I think Everton have improved a lot defensively uh, this season Um, in terms of the individuals. It's just a better setup. If you take those guys out, then I I think it's much closer than than people expect. Also because, you know, it is, and I was a cliche, but it's true, it is a derby. Mm. You know, you've got the environment there. You've got the, 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 the fans involved. And it's coming off what, and you can put a brave face on it, but what's got to be a disappointing defeat. And again, also from Liverpool's perspective, they spent a ton of money in the summer, money that, you know, they don't, it's not like they keep spending the Coutinho money over and over and over again. They're a lot better. They're second in the league. If it wasn't that City were so freakish, they'd be on their way to winning the league. But the Champions League has a big impact. And were they to get knocked out, you know, that's X million less to spend. And then you have to make adjustments elsewhere. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Manchester United are safely through to the knockout stages of the Champions League, but it took a stoppage time winner for Marouane Fellaini to see off young boys on Tuesday night. Jose Mourinho benched Paul Pogba and Romelu Lukaku, while Alexis Sanchez wasn't even part of the squad. Um, Gary Mourinho confirmed Sanchez was not injured. Surely United bought him for these Champions League nights. So what do you make of it all? I think Paul Hurst wrote a, a, quite a good piece on it recently where I think you surmise that Sanchez just doesn't fit in at United in, in, the, in the overall picture and wants to go. So um, 
from a playing perspective, he looks like he's lost his confidence, he's lost that spark, he's lost that... The one thing he had at Arsenal at the start, he could do something a little bit different, it was spontaneous, and he would do something that's unexpected, and he also had that, that real drive and that speed. Towards the end at Arsenal, I thought he got a little bit more predictable, perhaps because he wanted to go, and you knew what he was going to do before he could do it. Um, certainly when he's looked at United, he looks like he's just lost his confidence and, and, and lost the belief. And, and maybe... Perhaps Mourinho chipping away at him over over the time and chipping away at the players has just slightly got to him and is now at the point where he wants to go and by all accounts wants to go to PSG or at least go somewhere else. Then from his perspective, he's, he's, he's playing at nowhere near full throttle. Um, he's an interesting character, Sanchez, because at Arsenal he, he wasn't disliked, but he was a little bit of a, a loner in the sense that he would do his own things away from the players. He would go in and he would go home and... and, and and play with with the dogs he's got. So he he wasn't one of those players who was great around the dressing room. And by all accounts, it's a similar picture at Old Trafford. You sort of wonder whether that's also part of it. He he doesn't sort of bond with any other things. He's a very individual person, and maybe that has a slight effect around when he gets on the pitch. I don't. Gabs might disagree with me. No, um, I just think like and and you know, it's... and also maybe as well, he'd been slightly overrated because I think for for two seasons at Arsenal he was wonderful, and the last season at yeah. Arsenal I don't think he was anywhere near as good. All right, they signed him nine G- months ago, January, ten months ago, January. right? They signed him to an enormous long-term contract. It's a huge commitment for the club. So let's assume everything Gary says is true. You do your research before you go and sign somebody. Then you have to be pretty well convinced that if you're going to make him the highest paid player on the team, that he's going to fit in somewhere. And the other thing is, didn't Sanchez start at center forward very recently? Was it two weeks ago? I think this whole thing is, is just mysterious. And the the fact that look, Mourinho doesn't start his three highest paid players, Sanchez, Pogba, and, and Lukaku, were certainly three of his four highest paid players. What? Sorry? That's a statement, that, isn't it? There's definitely a statement in it, and he may have very valid reasons. But then again, you know, like when people ask him, it's like, well, why do you always ask about the guys who aren't playing? I'm like, because you just got your club to commit enormous amounts of people to these guys. Mm-hmm. Because Pogba, I think I'm right in saying it, has appeared in every single Premier League and Champions League game this season. So when you don't start him, at the very least, give an answer. You don't want to tell the truth, say like, well, because I thought in this game, Marvin Fellaini and Fred were right. That's fine, you know. But don't go and be like, oh, well, why? But why am I being asked for it? I don't know. I just think his behavior is, is just, it's not helping him first and foremost. It's just become more erratic. I mean, this Champions League group is so bad that UEFA should, by executive decree, decide just only one team advancing from it. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the other thing. He's like, well, you know, and, and people these throw away comments. Oh, there's a difficult group. It's not a difficult group. Young boys are terrible. Mm-hmm. And young boys, by the way, were playing without their best midfielder and their best striker. Um, Valencia, you know, Valencia are in the bottom half of the table. They've won four of 18 games this season in all competitions, right? This is who you're up against. So I I don't know why you have to go and say these things about how tough the group is and blah, blah, blah. Like, just go stick to it and say we had our ups and downs. We created a lot of chances. We could have taken them. And... We're psyched to go through, and we're going to improve, and we have a plan. And just be more positive. Instead, what does he do? You see that interview with, uh, with, with, with BT Sport, where all of a sudden, unprompted, he starts reminding people of, you know, 14 uh, Champions League group stage appearances, and 14 times he gets qualified. And when he wasn't in the Champions League, he was in the Europa League, and he won the Europa League. And 
you know what? I think people are familiar with that. I think people are familiar with the fact that he is an incredible record in drawing silverware. But I don't want to hear this guy talk about what he did five years ago because it doesn't help him. You just put it in stark contrast to what it is now. Mm. Just talk about the present. Talk about the positive. Talk about how you like the way that Rashford responded. Talk about Fellaini. I don't know. Talk about good things. Well, you mentioned Rashford there. He, of course, played up front for Manchester United. And Mourinho made a point of referencing in his pre-match interview that this is what people wanted to see. He then very visibly showed his disappointment when Rashford missed a chance, came through after five minutes. Uh, Gary Lineker and Chris Sutton have both spoken out about it, saying they wouldn't be very happy if their manager reacted like that. They wouldn't feel that they had his support. And you've written a column on this, Gab. People said, well, it's just an emotional reaction from Mourinho and they're making too big a deal out of it. But equally, and, and maybe they did make too big a deal because, you know, Lineker also tweeted about it and, you know, Scholes spoke about it. And maybe, you know, it's obvious that Scholes doesn't like Mourinho. Um, so, you know, whatever. Mourinho could just ignore him. But equally, Mourinho knows that he's on the sidelines and the cameras are trained on him and he knows he, he exists in this media environment. And he's played the media environment very well to the benefit of his team and to himself for most of his career. So right now that it's not working, right now that you just get this continuous backlash of negativity, why not just take a step back, just talk about your positives and move forward? And if you have to engage in a bit of manager speak, don't make it about yourself. Talk about the players. Talk about what you're doing to get better. You know, talk about how, you know, you're going to Southampton and, at the weekend and they're having a tough time and, you know, you get a win there, you get some positive momentum, blah, blah, blah. And I know like we get bored when managers say this, but there's a reason they say it because it's not negative because everything else is always so negative with a guy. And that's what I struggle to, 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 to understand. Marino has never been a, a manager who's brought through young players, but don't you think he's got a slight extra responsibility when there's a young player on the pitch not to do that? Mourinho has 28, one responsibility. A 28-year-old no, yeah. player can probably take that. A younger guy who's still learning, don't you think he has a responsibility, perhaps, not Look, to show that type of emotion? I'm going to give Mourinho the benefit of doubt that he knows Marcus Rashford better than I oh, do. That's also possibly better than you do too, and he knows how he's going to. He knows whether it's going to affect him or not. I, I don't think the question is: Did Rashford find out after the game, and then is he, is he like, did he, did, he, did he go and see the little clip of Mourinho's reaction, and is he, it certainly didn't affect him during the match? I mm-hmm. thought. You know, is he now so upset that he's going to be terrible if he plays against Southampton? I, I don't know. I don't think so. Um, but something like this means that instead of talking about the positives of United in that game, they weren't they were far from perfect, especially in the second half. But there were positives in there. We're talking again about Mourinho, and right now, when you talk about Mourinho, you're not talking about him winning mind games and his tactical brilliance. You're talking about him saying weird things, being negative. Matthew Syed has a piece about him, like, suffering the pressure and whatever. And that, he's the second highest paid manager in the world, something like that. And the bar is set very high for him. And he manages a very big club that spent a lot of money. And it's as simple as that. Don't make it about yourself. Talk about what you're doing to improve the team, highlight the positives, and be supportive. And then go and make whatever chances, whatever, you know, choices you want to make. But I just think that if you're going to behave a certain way, you have to have results on your side. Since the results are not on his side right now, then react differently, highlight the positives, and give people something to hang on to.
Well, United's next uh, assignment is a trip to Southampton on Saturday. Mark Hughes still the Saints manager, but according to Matt Hughes in the Times, the club has spoken to Paolo Sosa, the former QPR Swansea and Fiorentina manager, amongst many others. Dad, what would he bring to St Mary's? Well, first of all, about Paolo Sosa, it's weird because I don't know what it is about Paolo Sosa, but he kind of broke a cardinal rule of the managerial fraternity in that about a month ago when um, Roma were struggling, he came out and he says, yeah, I'd love to manage Roma, given, you know, results aren't going great. If there's a change, I'd love to manage them. That's generally kind of frowned upon by managers, right? You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of like when I say, like, I'd love to have Gary Jacobs' job doing transfers <laughs> for the Times, you know. It's not, not like... It's available. <laughs> <laughs> we can swap. Um, I don't know what Hughesy source is for this, but if it's in the paper, I would assume that to some degree, he probably checked it out with Souza's camp. So, I don't know. I, I he's a bit eccentric that way. I think a couple of things. Southampton have been. Unless you think Ralph Kruger decided this. This is no. a great way to motivate Sparky. Let, let's go and tell him that we're talking to uh, another manager. Uh, they've been looking for a new manager for probably two months, in terms of feeling out. Because it's, I think if you, if you're near Southampton, they were in a very difficult position with Hughes. If you look at his record last season, actually, it was pretty poor, apart from the one game he had to win, which he won. It was just one two away when that whole business happened with the, the hotel and, and had to go to a different hotel. But actually, his record was quite poor. And the internal hierarchy, when they made that decision, were, well, we probably need to give him a new permanent contract. But I think they were conscious of the fact that his record wasn't that great. Hi there, and welcome to The Sweeper, which is the Times' fancy football tip service. As ever, I'm still Charlie Scott, and I'm joined by Paddy Bonbear. Hello. Hello there, Paddy. So, this week, Sunday is all about the London derbies, but we'll get to that. First of all, Saturday, one standout fixture. It's got to be Man City at home to Bournemouth. Yeah, they reminded us um, last weekend exactly what they can do, and it was Leroy Sane and Raheem Sterling doing the business. A lot of Aguero captains, including myself, who are left frustrated. I wouldn't worry about that. I think he'll come good soon enough, possibly this weekend. But I'm mostly interested in Sane. I spent the week um, delving through the numbers and the touch maps and all sorts uh, just to figure out exactly whether he's good when Benjamin Mendy's injured, uh, and if so, why. And basically, it seems that pretty much there's a correlation. When Mendy's out, Sane starts almost always, uh, and he tends to do pretty well. Uh, I've written all about it on the Times Sport website, so you can go and find it. I'll also include a link in uh, this week's sweeper email if you want to read it as well. But um, the bottom line is that, uh, that Sana is probably a good pick. Absolutely. Uh, Paddy really did spend quite a lot of time doing that, and it's a fantastic piece, so check it out. The difficult thing is knowing who to sell for him, I think. Yeah. Hazard, Hazard may be injured this week, um, maybe one of your Liverpool expensive guys. It's tough to say goodbye to them, I'm, I'm not sure, though. Yeah, it's tough one with Hazard. He's uh, he's not been included for their squad that are playing in the Europa League tonight. Then they've got Fulham on Sunday. That Chelsea-Fulham game is quite tempting in terms of Chelsea attacking returns. You'd hope Hazard would play elsewhere. I think Marcus Alonso could be back on the goal-scoring slash assist trail mm-hmm. against Fulham. Um, and just a quick nod to the big North London derby. Anyone jump out at you there? Well, Spurs, are, Spurs look to be um, back to themselves a bit. They've got everyone fit again. Eriksen's playing very well. Uh, came on and changed the game against uh, Inter Milan. Harry Kane looks a bit more sprightly and they've got some lovely games up against uh, Southampton starting after the Arsenal game and a few nice ones after that. I think it might be time to start looking at Spurs in a big way. Absolutely. I think next week we're going to discuss 
is it time to sell Sergio Aguero? Mm. Don't forget you can sign up to the sweeper at thetimes.co.uk forward slash fantasy football and we also have a Facebook group, just search for the sweeper and Paddy and I will be checking that regularly. And also the deadline for transfers and to pick your team is Friday, an hour before kickoff in the late game, which is Cardiff versus Wolves. Don't forget. Time now for our weekly predictions game, where uh, Gab and I both attempt to predict the results of five games happening this weekend. Just a reminder, Gab, I am 7-5 up this season. Yeah, I'd forgotten that. Weird. Yeah, I know. Um, Southampton yes. play Manchester United um, mm. Saturday evening. Now, now I'm going to go with United because mm-hmm. Alex Sanchez, Paul Pogba, and uh, uh, Romelu Lukaku are all rested. More important, I'm going for it, because do you know the last time Southampton won at home oh. was back in April? Yeah. So, yeah. For me, United. What's the score? 3-1. Oh, really? So I'm going for a United win, but I'm going to go for a 1-0 win. A bit more cagey. Uh, North London derby. We've been speaking about that t- today. Um, it's at the Emirates. I, I just have a feeling this is going to be a goal fest. And so I'm actually going to go for a 2-2 draw. Ooh, Entertaining. sitting Yeah, maybe. Mm. Uh, I'm going to go with Arsenal to really? win this one. Yes. Oh. Mesut Ozil to score Stop. in a 1-0 victory. So it, oh. What? oh a uh, clean sheet? Yeah. I wonder if that You happens. just told me Ericsson can't play three times in a week, so it means if Ericsson doesn't play. Well, also, and also, with that new back three and, and Socrates, we all we all love him, right? And, do you know what? If if they do win one nil, and as you already said, Ozil scores, he's got to get a bonus point for that. I, 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 I think that's several fair. bonus points. Not several one. I'm I'm being generous. I'm giving you one bonus point. Uh, okay, so that's the North London Derby. What about the Merseyside Derby? <laughs> yeah, you know these derbies are different, difficult to predict. The great photograph of uh, what? It's Steve McMahon, and there's this famous photograph. You look it up on the internet. Steve McMahon and Peter Reed, I think, mm-hmm. where they're kind of like getting stuck mm-hmm. in on the ball. To me, that's always what I think about when, when I think about <laughs> like, like old school. Um, I think there's going to be a hangover from Paris, and so I'm going to go 1 1. Mm, okay, I debated about a 1 1 draw, but in the end, I just think Liverpool might be too strong, so I'm going to go for a 2 1 win for Jurgen Klopp's side. The Scottish League Cup final. Hitting Celtic against. Aberdeen. Yes. So Brendan Rodgers has won the domestic treble in both of his previous seasons at Celtic. The treble treble is on the line for this one, Gab. I know Celtic have sort of been stuttering a little bit this season. I still think they're just going to come through and win this one. So I've gone for another 2-1 scoreline Celtic winning. Just to be clear uh, on this, and we can reach an agreement right now without bothering our producer, Charlie, even though he likes to micromanage. We're going for the result at the final whistle, right? We're not sorry. Oh, the rose on ninety minutes. Yes, I, can we agree uh, on that? Yes, I think so. Let's do All right. that. Perfect. So oh, in that no. case, I'm going to go for a one-one draw. Oh, I shouldn't have agreed, should I? <laughs> What's the last one? Solihull Moors, who yeah. I believe are managed by former Southampton star goalkeeper and England as well, Timmy Flowers. <laughs> I'm just imagining having gone to football in this country in the late '80s. A guy named Tim Flowers. Imagine, like, the amount of abuse mm. you would get simply because of your name. Well, the fact that you're calling him Timmy as well <laughs> doesn't help. No, that. but it's like that rugby player. Wasn't there one called, like, Darren Tickle? 
some rugby league player. Oh, like, yes. you know, yes. yeah, you know what I'm talking yeah. about, right? Yeah, you said it, yeah. So Solihull Moors, they're sixth in the National League, mm. which I believe is some sort of form of football that exists beneath the conference and maybe the Ryman and whatever and our producers no, no, it's Charlie's. The conference. It's just basically the conference. The oh, it's just been, league. It's been rebranded the National it's the League. The National League now, it's no longer I, the conference. Is it still Vanarama? Yes. They're playing Blackpool, who are eighth in League One, who are managed by somebody named Terry McPhillips. <laughs> He's obviously somebody you're very familiar with now. Like, so why don't you tell us who he is? <laughs> I wish I could, but um, obviously he's, he's, he's fairly new in terms of uh, management with, with Blackpool. Safe to say Tim Flowers much more successful. A name recognition basis alone, <laughs> I'm going to go for a Solihull Moors upset Ooh. win over Blackpool. They're at home, 1-0, Friday night. I'm sure you'll all be tuning in. Oh, do you know, this is really... Oh, obviously, I really wanted the Met Police to win last time. <laughs> I went for an upset in Especially the first I, round. Despite the fact that they're not actually cops and they they're weren't allowed to cops. bring their... Yeah, they weren't allowed to bring... Once I found out they weren't allowed to bring their, like, pepper spray and, Baton, like, stuff and their batons onto yeah, the pitch. Yeah. Like, no. You, you knew it would be game over for them. Um, I, I do like a cup upset, but I just, I'm just going to go for a Blackpool 2-0 win. Because of your faith in Terry McPhillips. Because I believe in the EFL. (laughs) Just time for us to give you the answer to Bill Edgar's trivia teaser. The question was, the last Premier League goal scored by a goalkeeper came five years ago in November 2013. Remarkably, it was scored 13 seconds into the match. Both the scorer and the goalkeeper who considered that goal are now teammates at which Premier League club? And the answer is, and I, I I was thinking, I said, which... Which team has two guys who were both previously starters and immediately Burnley came to mind. But of course, that was not the right answer. The answer is Bournemouth. And my man, Asmir Begovic, who was at Stoke at the time when he launched a long clearance after 13 seconds, wind assisted as correctly identified by the brilliant Gary Jacob. And the ball, I'm assuming, bounced and went over the head of then Southampton goalkeeper Archer Boric. And uh, the two are now first at second choice keeper at the Vitality Stadium. That is it for now. Many thanks to our guests today, Gary Jacob and Henry Winter. You can subscribe to The Times and you also get The Sunday Times. And that allows you to enjoy award-winning journalism online or on your smartphone or tablet. It's just one pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information. We'll be back on Monday after a huge Sunday of Premier League action. Some broadcasters even branded it Derby Day. Clever. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone.